Hello and welcome to the first of what I hope will be many podcasts making up a series of stories documenting the strange and unusual creatures that we share our world with. It's going to be a science podcast packed full of interesting facts which will be revealed as these stories unfold. We'll focus on my personal interest, which is the biology of animals on the very periphery of what we're familiar with. Animals which exist against all odds and live their lives in the most unusual ways. I'm going to dive straight in and introduce our first tale. This is a tale of nightmarish romance where the grotesque meets the monstrous. It's a tale of temptation and sacrifice fraught with unexpected dangers. But ultimately, it's a tale of survival in an alien world of extremities. Welcome to Tales of the Wild. For this one, 1,500 meters down into the ocean. The light from our sun can't penetrate beyond depths of 1,000 meters, and so the ocean becomes a world of desperate cold blackness and unknown secrets. The water is eerily still in the absence of any wave energy from above, and if one were to shine a light into the darkness at this depth, the cold stillness would only be broken by the gentle falling of marine snow drifting flakes of decaying organic matter from the upper levels. The pressure at these depths is immense. Our species can only survive down to around 350 meters without our bodies collapsing in on themselves. How any creature can survive at such depths is extraordinary, and indeed there is nothing ordinary about the creatures that dwell in this darkness. Our creature for today is no different. An egg has hatched and a creature emerges. It is almost blind but must feed. It swims slowly out into the blackness in search of food, but at these depths, nutritious meals are difficult, almost impossible to find. To make matters worse, he's small and defenseless. He has a face that only a mother could love and a body that seems barely able to function. Survival out here is going to be tough. The one thing he does have going for him is an immensely powerful sense of smell with highly specialized olfactory tastes. He's searching desperately for a very particular kind of meal. If he could only see himself, he would ask himself how on earth he would eat this meal for his mouth was pathetically formed with teeth that would strike fear into only the most microbial of creatures. It was almost entirely functionless. Almost entirely. Furthermore, if he were able to turn his eyes inwards and gaze upon his innards, he would be shocked at the appearance of his stunted gastrointestinal tract and he would surely give up immediately in his hungry quest for nourishment. Even if he could find food, how would he possibly digest it? But still, nature does not make mistakes and he follows his natural impulse without question, moving slowly to stave off his hunger and conserve what little energy he inherited at birth. Days pass by slowly, and he floats out into the blackness like a comet drifting in endless space with no hope of colliding with any other entities by chance alone. 
At this point, he's ravenous and in pure desperation for a meal. He notices an occasional flash of grey light around him as he moves about in the darkness, but with his terrible eyesight, he can barely tell if it is real or if it's just his imagination, and he ignores it. He knows that any chance he has in this world is entirely dependent on his sense of smell, which so far has not helped him at all. He's weak and he's starving, and starts to float aimlessly more than he swims with intention. He feels a current moving towards him and freezes motionless. He has no chance to fight with whatever blind horrors lurk at these depths, and he can only hope that he has not been noticed. The current becomes much stronger, and he can feel from it that this creature is much, much larger than he is, perhaps too large to be interested in him, although food down here is scarce enough not to rely on that fact. Without the gift of sight, he can only imagine the form of this shadowy terror. He waits motionless as the creature, to his relief, swims slowly above him. The current generated by this unknown leviathan sends him spiralling out of the way, and for a moment he thinks he is safe. Then, in a split second, the dark terror makes an instant and violent U-turn, snapping at the water with unseen teeth to his right, narrowly missing him. Then it swims off silently and slowly back into the darkness from which it came. Our lucky creature drifts in the residual currents, shocked, and waits a little to be sure that it's safe, before slowly continuing on his journey. He could never know that 1,500 meters directly above him, the sun beamed down onto the glistening wings of cormorants as they dried themselves after a successful morning of fishing. They had joined the gulls in picking off fish from a living ball of sardines sculpted by hunting bottlenose dolphins at the sea surface. It was a warm and breezy day. The sea was full of colour and motion. It could not have been more different to the world our creature was born into. He was now starving and close to death. This was not uncommon for his species. Most of his siblings would suffer this fate or be snapped up by unseen monsters from the depths. As he waited for his fate, something happened that changed his world. Was this starvation playing tricks on his mind? An overpowering smell had flooded into his senses. It was a glorious smell, and it seemed to fill his entire body with a kind of primal energy he would not have thought possible given his near-starved condition. This was what he had been searching for his whole life, and the scent consumed his entire being. As he moved, the smell became stronger and even more overpowering, and he swam faster in response. It did not matter to him if he used all of his energy in this endeavour, for he knew that this was his one chance. He was getting closer, and now swam as fast as his little deformed body would allow. A dull grey light was blinking a few metres in front of him, like an air traffic control tower guiding in a plane to land. He rushed forwards in a feeding frenzy, with his underdeveloped eyes starting to make out some detail. Then he froze. He could not believe what he saw before him. He was face to face with two rows of giant and ferociously sharp teeth. The teeth were longer than his entire body, and right above them, embedded into a pale fleshy face, were two tiny beady eyes glistening in the light of a strange ethereal orb 
which hovered and blinked brightly above the face. She was absolutely beautiful. The glowing orb which dangled above her glistened like mistletoe in the darkness, and he could hold back no longer. His urges were a confused mix of hunger and sexual desire, and they were overwhelming, and he could no longer contain himself. What must she think of him? He was a wretched creature by comparison. Had she even noticed him? He became consumed with a cold fear suddenly that she had not, and that she would surely leave him for a superior suitor as soon as she did. No, he would not let that happen. He did not know how he would hold on to such a powerful beauty, but instinct took over and he gladly surrendered himself to it. He swam rapidly under her and buried his teeth into her flesh so hard that his jaw locked shut and he knew in that moment that he would never be alone again. He felt immense relief that his quest was over and felt strangely like he was exactly where he was supposed to be. As he desperately gripped her scaly flesh in his jaw, something strange started to happen. It was a horrifying and unexpected thing, which made him question whether or not he had made a terrible mistake. His lips began to dissolve. He kept his grip, fearing nothing more than to fall away and float back into the cold, desolate darkness of the deep ocean, but the burning in his mouth was becoming much greater and difficult to bear. Not only did his lips dissolve, but so did his teeth and the skin and flesh around the bite wound he had inflicted on his ginormous princess. He could not have known that his saliva was full of flesh-eating enzymes specifically designed for this task. As the pain became too great, he changed his mind. This would not be his fate. He pulled away but found that he could not. A fusion had occurred around the mouth to the body of this beauty. Where his skin had dissolved, New skin had grown and bonded the pair together. Slowly the pain began to subside. He hung from her body as though lifeless, like a piece of seaweed, moving only in response to the currents as she swam slowly through the blackness. He was still starving. Biting into the flesh of his princess had not fixed his underdeveloped anatomy, and despite his urges, he had no means to consume nor digest flesh, for several hours he hung there, still starving, when suddenly a nutritious energy flooded into his cold body. Finally, his blood had fused with hers. He would never have his freedom again, but he would also never be hungry nor alone. She would be his protector. She was, of course, an anglerfish. She'd been sending out pheromones to attract a mate when a starving and pathetic individual, not much larger than her eyeball, had approached her at an insultingly slow velocity. She'd briefly considered eating him, but she'd recently gulped up a squid twice her body size, and this visitor would hardly suffice as an appropriate dessert for such an exquisite meal. No, she decided she would allow him to mate with her. Not out of pity, pitiful though he was, but because males were hard to come by in this place. In fact, he was the first suitor she had received in months, and she needed him to fertilize her eggs. She twitched her esker, the light-emitting organ on top of her head, to draw him in, and she barely noticed when he bound to her but for a small pinch on her abdomen. Truly pathetic, she thought, 
and began to fall asleep, drifting in blackness in body and mind. As she slept, open-eyed as all fish do, she began to dream about her recent squid encounter. It had been crawling along the ocean floor looking for deep-sea crabs when she noticed it. She did not have the ability nor the will to carry her bulky body at speed through the water under these enormous pressures, but she could manage short bursts, a few feet at most. She was, after all, an ambush predator by nature, and she preferred to lure her prey to her rather than doing any of that unsophisticated chasing stuff. The squid was moving away from her, kicking up plumes of sand as he went rummaging around for unsuspecting crabs. She had to catch his attention. If she moved her whole body, she might spook him, or because of his size, might even become prey herself. But she had a highly sophisticated tool to deal with situations like this. It was, in fact, the same tool she'd used to draw in her suitor. It was the light-emitting esker that was located on the top of one of her dorsal spines. She began to flick it back and forth, and the squid, a visual hunter with his far superior vision, immediately noticed this enticing glowing orb, and his prey drive was triggered. He shot towards her using his jet propulsion, and landed almost within her strike zone. She waited for a moment, eyeing him up in the light of her esker. He was huge, and for a moment she wondered if she actually could eat him. Her jaw was designed to swallow prey whole, and she did not have the ability to tear up flesh into smaller chunks. Fortunately, though, she could distend her jaw and her belly, and her beady eyes glimmered with greed as she anticipated consuming this supersized meal. The squid crept slowly forward, trying not to scare this strange glowing orb. But then something terrible occurred. Her esker went out, and the darkness around filled the space. The squid froze and then locked its huge eyes directly with hers. She was terrified. She shook her esker around frantically, but it was too late. The squid had directed his interest towards a far greater opportunity. The squid's eight arms sprawled outwards like an umbrella and it fired out its two feeder tentacles towards her. Pain surged through her body and she was quickly drawn into its extraterrestrial-like beaked mouth and just before the end came, she woke up suddenly from her dream. That was not how her encounter had gone. Her esker contained a loyal colony of bioluminescent bacteria, and she had complete faith that they would not let her down in moments like that. As long as she continued to provide them with nutrients, they would do their job. That was the deal. The squid had in fact, like so many before him, been totally enthralled by her flickering esker, and as it approached, she had promptly gulped him up, filling her expandable stomach and doubling her size in the process. It's a strategy that's helped many species of anglerfish survive in the absence of a reliable provision of reasonably sized meals. This meal will provide plenty of nutrients for herself, her light-emitting bacterial colony, and her eggs. Oh, and also her pathetic parasitic partner, who hung limply from her abdomen. She felt totally stuffed. It was not just the squid that she'd devoured, but she was also full of a million eggs, and now that she'd accepted a mate, again without indulging in any unsophisticated chasing, she was in a perfect situation to spawn. Before continuing this tale, I think there's a scientific mystery here which requires further exploration. 
I'm talking about the bacteria that live inside the esker of our female anglerfish. Firstly, bioluminescence is the production of light using a chemical reaction involving an enzyme called luciferase. You might be wondering how organisms evolved the ability to use this enzyme to generate light. Well, much like heat, a tiny amount of light can be emitted as a sort of byproduct of many biological reactions. With a sensitive enough camera, you'd see that the entire surface of your skin is glowing with the light emission of biological reaction at all times. Organic life really does glow in the dark, but in nearly all cases, the darkness required to see it and the sensitivity of the eyes required to detect it does not exist in nature. When you live in pure darkness, even a tiny amount of light can result in large increases in your chances of survival, and so this places a huge evolutionary selection pressure favoring this phenomenon. In other words, those individuals which can detect minute quantities of light will outcompete those which cannot. Such a great advantage has resulted in bioluminescence evolving independently on at least 40 separate occasions in marine animals, many of which are totally unrelated. Just to briefly clarify how these evolutionary leaps might occur in nature, imagine for a second that you are a fish, and your diet consists of eating difficult-to-find decomposing fish at the bottom of the ocean in the absence of any light. You've evolved from a fish at the higher levels of the ocean, where light can still penetrate, so you do have some kind of vestigial, but still slightly functioning, eyesight. Although, with enough time without use, of course, evolution will start to eradicate this unnecessary sense. Just look up blind cavefish for an excellent example of this. So down at the bottom of the ocean, the more of these delicious fish carcasses you can find, the more you can eat and the greater your chance of survival in a world of limited resources. Now the fish carcasses you are eating are also the food of choice of many species of bacteria. Some of these do emit tiny, undetectable amounts of light as a byproduct of natural biochemical reactions as they digest the nutrients that they're consuming. If by chance there's a very high density of these bacteria in one location, you might even detect the tiniest amount of light emitted, and you can go and eat the fish carcass that you previously would not have seen. Evolution is now selecting for better eyesight, and as we said, this is an easy adaptation because your ancestors who lived at the surface levels had excellent eyesight, and much of the biological hardware is already in place for these minor genetic adjustments to take place. Now that evolution has restored your vision and continues to enhance it over generations, you are better at finding these glowing fish carcasses more easily. You might be thinking that the bacteria would start to evolve to become darker so as not to be eaten by fish like you, but actually the bacteria are very happy with this arrangement. They find the conditions inside your gut with all that partially broken down food much more favorable than being out in the open ocean. So evolution instead strengthens their light-emitting reaction as they digest nutrients, and they are more likely to be found by you. In the end, you have a sort of symbiosis where fish are being directed to good meals and the bacteria are being collected to exist in a better environment inside the bodies of these fish. Now this part is just speculation, but it could be that some of this light-emitting bacteria begins to glow strongly inside your gut to the extent that the light can be visible outside, and it attracts a mate. They might have swum over to investigate a possible meal, signposted by the light of the bacteria, but have found a partner instead. Now you have a situation where it's even more in your benefit to glow from time to time, 
and you may start to undergo some genetically driven physiological adjustments, such as developing thinner skin or clearer scales around the location of the bacteria so that they can transmit light out of your body much more effectively. Perhaps it will even go a step further and create special organs to house the bacteria and ensure that they are given everything they need to survive. Perhaps it's not only potential mates that these glowing lights behind your thin skin and clear scales are attracting, but some smaller fish are interested. They think it might be something that they can eat, and you no longer need to rely on the carcasses of fish for sustenance, but now the light under your skin is enticing unsuspecting prey right into your waiting jaws. You can conserve energy by not swimming around anymore because your meals are coming right to your door. One problem that you do have is that to attract these fish, you must move your whole body so that the lights look like they're moving around in the darkness. The problem with that is that you can either spook the fish or you might make predators aware of your whole body. Evolution creates a solution for that and you find that over time, your bacteria housing organ migrates to the top of one of your dorsal spines, which you can now move back and forth like a lure on a fishing line. And that, of course, is what gives the anglerfish its name. Now, as I said, this is just speculation. Nobody's exactly sure how this symbiotic relationship with these bacteria has developed, but it gives an idea of how evolution might have shaped such an incredible light-emitting organ in the anglerfish. The esker, this bacterial housing organ, is not a closed container. The fish has not imprisoned this colony, but rather it's a mutual agreement with symbiotic benefits for both parties. There is a small opening in the esker which leads into the surrounding ocean, and so the bacteria can come and go as they please. However, nobody's ever found these bacteria outside of the body of a fish, and it's unlikely that they would leave voluntarily because of their dependence on the fish. They're unable to produce light outside the body of the anglerfish, nor to digest many of the nutrients that they require, suggesting that the anglerfish itself is creating nutrition for the bacteria. In addition, each species of anglerfish has its own species of bacteria, and it remains a complete mystery as to how the bacteria are transferred from mother to offspring. It has been proposed that anglerfish may transfer some of their bacterial colony to the eggs during spawning, but nobody really knows. Back into the cold, still water of the deep, and our male anglerfish is in trouble. He's hanging from the female by the skin of his face. He wanted to form an endless bond with this female, but had no idea about this nightmarish situation he would find himself in. While he initially enjoyed the security and nourishment provided by his beautiful host, he could not help but feel like he was losing himself. He was, in fact, literally losing parts of himself. His fins had withered away into nothingness, and his eyes had completely deteriorated, and much of his internal anatomy felt no longer present. As if by some kind of curse he'd been rendered little more than a small bag of flesh hanging from a far superior being. The only part of his body which seemed unaffected was his gonads, which if anything felt more developed than ever before. If he could only have resisted the attraction of those potent pheromones, he cursed his ancestors for being so pathetically successful in their bizarre parasitic mating attempts and passing on these strange genes to him. As he hung there, he felt more like an appendage rather than a being in his own right. Must he wait this out until he finally dies? Can there be a more miserable existence than this? 
Then something peculiar happened. He'd become used to the steady nutrient flow from his partner's bloodstream, but now it felt different. Hormones were surging through the blood. A long stream of eggs was evacuating the body of his partner, forming a thin gelatinous ribbon which floated out into the open ocean. With a bit of luck, even if it were discovered in this darkness, its one million egg length and gelatinous coating should keep it safe from most predators. His last role in this world was to fertilize those eggs, and he did so without question, not that he had any choice, for he had bitten into the apple of temptation and sacrificed any notion of independence and free will, even though his existence now resembled little more than a sperm-donating appendage he did finally find some peace of mind, what little mind he had left, that is. His peace of mind came from the following conclusion. Though he was a mere part of something greater than he, without him that greatness would not exist in the sea. And that ends our first tale. I decided to start us off with anglerfish, I think because I find them such an unusual and interesting species. It's difficult to match their menacing look, and there's so many weird and interesting facts about them, like the way they emit light to try and catch their prey, um, the extreme sexual dimorphism which they show, with the female being so much larger than the male, and um, the fact that the skin of the male's mouth fuses to the female I find quite disturbing but very interesting at the same time. I think of all the species I'm familiar with, the male anglerfish really got quite unlucky during the history of evolution. So I hope you all enjoyed this first tale as much as I enjoyed making it. And if you'd like to connect with Tales of the Wild, please do so on our website or the usual social media routes, which I've linked in the description to this podcast. Next week, we have something very exciting in store. This time we're traveling to China. Um, to explore a completely different species struggling to survive in a very different habitat. It's once again full of information about the unusual lives of some species, and it's a balance of real science and storytelling. Please subscribe to make sure that you don't miss it. Thanks once again for joining me on this zoological journey, and if you're in a position to do so, please consider supporting the podcast. It will really help me get this project going. Thanks a lot, and see you next week. 